It's Megacon from March 15th through the 17th, 2013 at the Orange County Convention Center in Orlando, Florida. Megacon is the Southeast's largest comic book, science fiction, fantasy, anime, gaming, toys, multimedia event. The showroom has over 110,000 square feet of exhibitor space. Meet your favorite comic book artists, get autographs from your favorite celebrities, enter a costume contest, visit continuous anime viewing rooms, view the Indie Film Festival, and so much more. You don't want to miss it. One-day tickets are $24.49 in advance, $30 at the door. Or go for all three days for just $58.04 in advance or $60 at the door. I, Scott Gardner, will be there Saturday, March 16th from open to close, wandering the floor in my Two True Freaks t-shirt. Again, that's Megacon, March 15th through the 17th, 2013 at the Orange County Convention Center, Hall D, that's 9800 International Drive, Orlando, Florida. Be there. Back to the bin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. This is episode number 102. I am Paul Spataro, and I am joined today by my very good friend, Bill Robinson. Why, thank you. Hey, aren't we missing somebody? Uh, like who? Um, Jason Trenner? I, You know what? I think we are missing Jason, and... Except we will have an email presence by Jason in a few minutes. But oh, we, okay. We're, there's, there's like two other guys that sometimes they do this thing. <clears throat> I, Bailey and, and... And Honeywell. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, well. Well, what are you going to do? There we got to some... work without them today. They're on assignment. You know, I, I think I forgot to pay my gardener. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that is so stale. <laughs> so, where are you at today? Uh, uh, <laughs> greetings, Professor Spataro. Would you like to play a game? <laughs> I, <laughs> you, you'll really have to excuse my voice. I'm I'm still recovering from a sinus infection that led into my chest, and so if I if I mute out a few times, it's because I don't want to blast everybody's eardrums with a cough. Well, so that was a very poor War Games computer. I apologize. I thought it almost sounded like an Akinator War, War Games computer. <laughs> no, that would be like this. We could play the Locinator. <laughs> the Locinator. Where is Bill Robinson? <laughs> yes, so, that's right. I'm coming from an undisclosed location. I have kept my location secret from everyone. I am not in Tallahassee. I am not in my house. But I am in the state of Florida. You have 20 questions. Go. As, as I was telling you, <laughs> you know, once, once you start eliminating uh, Orlando from the picture, I, I might know Orlando, Miami. Uh, what nope, else nope. do I know? Uh, Tampa Bay, Cocoa Beach. Nope. And I only know nope. Cocoa Beach because Jeannie and, and Tony came from there. <laughs> but uh, let's see if I can come up with some of the strangest 
city names in Florida. And Seinfeld, they had Del Boca Vista. Uh, was that in the final episode when they got arrested? No, that was where uh, his mom and dad had the... Oh, uh, that's right, that's right. Would, they lived in the senior community. Uh, yeah. Let's see. I don't, I don't think you're in Cape Canaveral. No. Clearwater. I've heard of that. No. <laughs> I, I actually live about a half hour from there. But I am at least six and a half hours drive time from my home. Oh, that must have been just a joy. And I live in Port Ritchie, which is above just just above Tampa. So now you can pretty much look. I'm either at one end of the state or the other end of the state. Are you in the Everglades? No. Because that would be really cool. You could look for the man thing <laughs> instead of instead of being in a room with your own man. Thing. <laughs> oh, I'm not even go there. Uh, Wait, I gotta have the maid leave. Okay, thank you, thank you. No, no, just leave that there. All right, thank you. Bye. She had to bring me my smoking jacket and my candles. My and, your, and your assortment of oils. Assortment <laughs> of oils. Uh, let's see. Are you at Lake Alfred? <laughs> no, that's only about two and a half hours from my house. Okay, I wouldn't have known that. Uh, oh, that's right. You're not looking at a map. No, I'm not. I'm looking. I'm just looking at city names right here. It's... There's a lot of lakes. Are you, at, are you in a yeah. lake? Are you uh, no. at a lake? No, I am not at a city that has a lake in it. Okay, so I can pass that up. Is it a one-word name? Yes, it is. Okay, so that eliminates Del Boca Vista or Cocoa Beach. Is it Mulberry? or No. Is it any of the berries? Because there's a couple of others. <laughs> it is no berries. There is no fruit. There is no berry. There is no lakes in the city that I am in. It is not an Indian-sounding name either, like with Lakuchi, Lakuchi, Pith Lakuchi, <laughs> Steinahatchee. It is not Palm Beach. No, that, that, that would be, be two, two words. Yes, that, that would be it does bad. not have beach in the name, but that does not mean it is not a beach town. Is it Quincy? No, legitimate town is Sarasota. Uh, Sarasota is about two hours below me. Where I live, not where I am now. I am close to Quincy, though, but you're not looking at a map, so it doesn't matter. No, I'm not. You said you're not in Tallahassee or Tampa. I know that. You know, there, there's another. What? What? Trenton? No. <laughs> you know, there's 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 something else unique about Florida that not a lot of people know. Okay. Are you in the ta- same time zone? No. I am an hour behind. Hour be- I am in the central time zone. Uh, but now you're from the Tallahassee area, correct? So I'm speaking to you from the past. So you, you would be west of where you are. Are you in Pensacola? Ooh, I'm getting warmer. Uh, see, now I'm looking at a map. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. A little too much lubricant there. I, <laughs> oh man, I, 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 my throat—it's killing me. Oh wait, that didn't sound good either. Are you in Valparaiso? <laughs> no Spanish-sounding names. It's a pretty—it's a simple-sounding name. One word. Simple-sounding name. Something you find in any common kitchen. Uh, it's not a Ville. 
It's not a city. It's not a beach. It doesn't have fruit in it. I do enjoy my fruit towns. Uh. <laughs> That's an easy one. I'm touching that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're looking at a map, right? I am now. It is your destiny. No. I, am your, I am your density. Uh, no. Ah, you're in destine. The destine, yes, I am in destine. You, you are like almost at the very, very end here. Of, yes, of the, not, world, of the world of Florida. Yes, and tomorrow I get to go from Destin to Panama City, which is back. I'm not even sure if I cross the time zone again. And then I got to go to Tallahassee, and then I get to go home. Hooray for me. <laughs> well, I'm sure you're making top dollar for all of this, though, which makes it all okay. And you're living like a glamorous life in towns like Destiny. Well, it's Destin. There's no E. There's no E in team. Oh, no, wait a minute. There is. Oh, I just before we go into the emails, I wanted to mention uh, Scott had put out a call, I guess, two weeks ago. As of the recording of this, it was two weeks ago uh, for people to uh, to you know to give us some reviews on uh, iTunes. And uh, I see that a, a bunch of people did, which I want to thank people for. And, in fact, a couple of them actually specifically mentioned me and said nice things, which I want to thank them for as well. Uh, and I, I think, at least as I understand it, that the more reviews we get, the more Two True Freaks shows up when people do searches for comics or whatever in podcasts. So... Uh, I would encourage people to keep on giving reviews, uh, whether you like us, whether you hate us. If you hate us, I don't know why you're listening to us. Uh, whatever the case may be, I think, you know, iTunes reviews is a good thing. So I just wanted to mention that. And on to email. The first email we have is from Zane Kroll. Zane says, hi, Scott, Paul, and Michael. You're out, buddy. Yeah, I know. I was listening to Back to the Bins episode 99 and 9 the other day. I do not remember which one that was. And you was mentioned, I yeah, I think you were. And you mentioned you were still looking for ideas on what to do for the 100th episode. Part of the fun of Back Issues is the hunt for that elusive book. So my suggestion is have the 100th episode focus on the particular issue that you have the most interesting story about finally adding to your collection. Hope you like the suggestion. Either way, I look forward to listening to what's yet to come. Keep up the great work. P.S. Another suggestion for a future episode is to pick licensed property books. Okay, well, first... We I guess, make... we, I guess we kind of did do the licensed property book when we did the Superman versus Terminator. Yeah, kinda. we've done a few licensed property books, and I'm sure we're going to continue to. And then there was the James Bond book that... uh. I did not too long ago, and you know, every once in a while we hit on a licensed property, so I, we do that. And at this point, we're at episode 102, so uh, episode 100 was two episodes ago, and we did talk about, you know, kind of the elusive things that we'd like to get for our collection and that type of thing. So I think we kind of hit on what Zane is asking for. So I hope we, uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode, and uh, thanks for the email. Yeah, I, I did have a very elusive issue that for no apparent reason was elusive. It was an issue of cable. It was like cable 
87 or 78 or something like that and I just could not find it to complete my run of cable and finally I I found it and I asked the guy I'm like is there something special about this issue I've been searching for this for like two years and he's like no it's pretty common <laughs> anyway it was it was such a letdown you know when I finally found it I was like oh my god I've been searching for this why is it so hard to find uh, you just must be unlucky Thanks. Yeah, I mean that's that would be right around the era where they were overprinting because of the speculator market, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's why I couldn't figure out. I like I had found everything easily. It was easy to find all those books. I mean, now some of the earlier ones were hard to find, but I already had all those because I was buying them when they came out, and then I stopped for a while. <laughs> and um, it was just this one odd book that, for no apparent reason, was just. As luck would have it, I just could not find it. So, and that's a great name, Zane Crawl. That's that's a name straight out of a comic book. Yeah, that's that's uh, it, except a real name. <laughs> uh, you got the next email? Yeah, we'll do. Uh, I'll do Mr. Leyland. Yes, that sounds about okay. right. Okay. Hey, fellas. Hey, Andrew. Now that I have actually listened to the last episode, a few thoughts, thought, to quote Winnie the Pooh. One, Bill thought the Burn FF issue was a fill-in, and he was partially correct. This issue was a reheated plot Byrne came up with for the Space 1999 comic, but he either left before it was scripted or the book was canceled. I don't recall, so he worked it into an FF story. Hmm. I love yeah, being partially I, right. Uh, it's better than being partially wrong. I well, guess. if you're I partially right, aren't you partially Shut up, wrong by I knew that. I knew that. Just, you know, geek, work with me here. <laughs> My wife and I met Neil Gaiman at, at a talk he was giving. He was, as Scott said, totally without pretension, witty, funny, and a, an excellent – oh, God, these English words. Recateur? Raconteur? I believe it's raccoon. Raconteur. Raconteur. Bloody English. But <clears throat> it works better to say it with an English accent. Raconteur. <laughs> That's a good idea. Let me start. My wife and I met Neil Gaiman at a talk he was giving. He was, as Scott said, totally without pretension, witty, funny, an excellent raconteur. Oh, yeah, that does work better that way. But it's really killing my throat. But I'm also sure that. that our English Andy's accents are horrible. <laughs> I think Andy does well, a better American accent than we do English. Yeah, unfortunately, I think you're right. Have you have you ever heard when he does his uh, American accent? Yes, I have. It's actually very funny. <laughs> Darn it, doing me. And this is and we're back, girl from Ethiopia. <laughs> Please okay. Hi, we are experiencing operating difficulties. <laughs> Bill had to adjust his voice. American Gods and Neverwhere were excellent reads. I thought, but Stardust was far too twee. What's a twee? I think twee is like uh, like almost too cute for its own good. That's the way I would mm. judge that. Can, you know, I'm going to have to get an English-to-English English dictionary or something. 
just kidding. Just kidding. I, I could be wrong on that definition anyway. So it could be a misspelling for all we know. <laughs> anyway, I like Sandman back in my early twenties, but found it a bit right on nowadays. Although I did like his Legends of the Green Flame Prestige Superman book he did a while ago, and his Doctor Who episode was very good. That Legends of the Green Flame was that the one the like Mike Magnolia? Oh, man, I'm murdering things. Magnolia. Yeah, thank you. I'm did, not. I'm not sure. Is that the world's finest? The with like the silver banshee. I'm not sure. I really don't mm. know. Take care and carry on producing my favorite show on the TTF network. Uh, Andy. Thank, thank you for that. that. That's really cool. And I looked up Twee. It is something that is sweet, almost to the point of being sickening, sickeningly so. As a, der, as a derogatory descriptive, it means something that is affectedly dainty. Well, that's uh, just bolts. That's the dog's bullocks. I read American Gods. That's the one thing that Andy mentioned, and he mentioned it as being an excellent read, and I thought it was a bit twee myself. Uh, just, just a little... I don't know. It, it just didn't pull me in. I, I, I kept trying to get into it, and uh, I had a tough time with it. We mentioned 1602, which I agreed with you guys is excellent. I had no problem with that. But... uh yeah. That's right. I was the one that mentioned that, and I'm sitting here going, "What have I read that's Neil Gaiman?" In my head, and he, and I was the one that said it on the other episode. Hey, didn't you do 1602? Yes. Duh. You did. <laughs> but I, I I do need to read those issues of Sandman because that, as best as I can tell, that's what's generally considered his best work, and I haven't read it, so it puts me in a position where I really shouldn't be commenting on the quality of his work when I haven't read what is commonly considered to be his best. Right, yeah. I mean, aside from 1602, the only thing I know off the top of my head that I'm familiar with is also the Doctor Who um, episode he did, which was good. Did you see that one, Paul? I, You know, I still haven't been able to get into Doctor Who, and I know if I tried, I would really enjoy it. But so far, I just haven't found the time for it. But what mm-hmm. I did start watching recently, I don't know if you watched this or not, but I, somebody got me to start watching Game of Thrones. No, I haven't seen it. Um, it's awesome. It's, see, I don't know if I want to read the books or jump into the show because I don't really have I, – I would have to go buy it. Or is it on Netflix or is it uh, – uh, No, it's not on Netflix. I took it out of the library. It's a very, very dense story. Uh, the first season, which is 10 episodes, is the first book. And mm-hmm. I – and. I, I watched it, and it's kind of hard to follow to some extent because there's so many characters, and they have these, you know, strange names, and it's hard to remember who everybody is. But you you start to get it as it goes along, and now I'm actually reading the book. I'm about halfway through the book, and it's all starting to piece together for me. Uh, the third season starts up next month, which is the first half of the third book. So I'm going to end up seeing that before I uh, before I get a chance to to read that book, but. I guess by the time the fourth season comes around, I'll be ahead in my reading of where the books, you know, where the show is. Mm-hmm. But really, really good stuff. I don't want to say anything about what, you know, any, any of the content is because I don't want to give any spoilers. But you know, kind of a, a Lord of the Rings feel to it, and I, I just, it's, it's just all I can say is it's excellent. 
you know, I'll, I'll have to give it a chance. All right, we have one more email from Jason Trenner, who, as always, opens his email with not or titles his email, not spam. And then it says, full of ninjas and back to the bins feedback. Okay, and oops, the email says, ba weep, grang weep, ni ni bong everyone. I don't know exactly what that means, but Jason, nah, usually, me. Jason usually manages to lose me on at least one or two references. Listen to episode 99 and 15 23rds. Hey, is now a good time to bring up I'm available if you need a fill-in freak? Uh, probably about an hour too late on this one, because if we had an hour earlier, we could have used you tonight. But uh, we'll keep you in mind uh, if you can pass the stringent Monzo Corp uh, physical and... Uh, mental health tests. Yeah, I'm still recovered from the colonoscopy. But I'm not even old enough to need one. <laughs> uh, it just It's part of the fun of getting older. <laughs> they, they are supposed to take that camera out, right? No. Oh. That's a permanent thing. Really? I thought they were supposed to come out. Hmm. That's not a tracking device, is it? <laughs> <laughs> colonoscopy slash GPS. And Jason goes on to say, (laughs) oh, oh, and the Mark Wade Brave and the Bold stuff was in continuity. I didn't realize that, which was the problem as the continuity was so screwed up, no one knew who the Teen Titans, who were the Teen Titans at the time or who was dead or not. That's why it had so many flashbacks or set earlier stories. Ah, DC, never learning the lesson of keeping everyone on the same page. Well, look at what the big picture is of all the details put together, but that's another story. And it is a big new, but I'd love to see you review. It is a big new, but I'd love to see you review Justice League. I, I think it is, it is a bit new. Okay, it's a yeah. uh, But I'd love to see you review Justice League versus the Avengers. That would be probably something if we were going to do it, we'd have to do like a special spotlight episode on yeah, it. Yeah, that's, that's actually, I mean, that's what early 2000s yeah i mean it's probably about 10 years old so i i don't think it's too new to do it's just a matter yeah i mean it's that was yeah in in fact i had actually quit comics totally and i was out in california for work going to a class and i'm in burbank sunny downtown burbank california and they stick me in a hotel and there's a comic book store across the street so like any addict well, you know, I'll just go in and look and see what's new. I don't need to buy any of them. Yeah, I'm just going to go in and look. It can't hurt to look, right? What's this? Justice League versus the Avengers? Well, I could just buy the miniseries. <laughs> what's the worst that could happen? Hell yeah. Flash forward, forward 10 years yeah. later, you're sitting here with headphones on. <laughs> Yeah, well, about two months later, I was back up to, uh, you know, like a, a 40 title a month habit. So, yeah, a lot of good that did. But anyway, back to the email. Okay, where was I? To me, that, well, that to me was a fun storyline and a pity it won't be followed up, uh, up on given the Avengers haven't been rebooted, but the DC Universe has. Well, I don't say, well, you I know, I... Say the Avengers have been rebooted, I mean, subtly with this Marvel Now and stuff going on I mean, yeah and and i i mean if if 
Marvel and DC developed a, a relationship or redeveloped a relationship where they could do crossovers again, uh, I don't even see why they have to worry about doing it in continuity. They could just go with any era Avengers and any, any era JLA that they choose. Mm-hmm. On the AWC issue, oh, America's uh, Avengers West Coast. Given Hawkeye's history as being... Avengers Wrestling... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it sounds Sorry. like. Uh, being led about by the... Bl- by the fact Black Widow was sexy and into him, he's really throwing stones at glass houses with Wonder Man. Good point. But I guess now he's in charge. So, you know, it's do as I say, not as I do. As for the thing, this was when She-Hulk took his place on the team and Johnny Storm was with his girlfriend. Well, retconned to be a skull in disguise, but I digress on that. And it might not have been the tide that swallowed Wonder Man and Tiger up, it could have been Hydro Man trying to beat them up. <laughs> He's already retconning it. On the thing, it wasn't until the second version of the New Avengers that he joined the team, which is very recent. Uh, that would be ben- Bendis' well, final run. There was a time that the Fantastic Four stayed with the Avengers, and I know it was at least Sue and Reed... I don't know if it was Johnny and the thing, but it was during one of the numerous times that the Baxter building had been destroyed or whatever. And I know, I want to say it was around Avengers 300, maybe 400. But there, but there was a time when they stayed in the Avengers mansion. Yeah, so I, I know. Might have joined, joined that. for a very short period of time, but uh, I'm not sure if Johnny ever was a member. Hmm. Reed and Sue joined for a short time, and the thing recently was a member. But uh, I think John, I don't think Johnny was ever an Avenger. Well, Johnny may not have been a member, but he has been a tool. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Well, the active roster, as it seemed, even what seemed even what happened in the issue, they gave him reservist status. Seriously, they gave that to everyone other than Wolverine on the West Coast team. And trust me, Tigra would get weirder as she tried to deal with her issues. And Ultron giving Pym threatening phone calls would probably be more interesting now since he'd be calling Pym's cell phone. I wonder what Hank Pym would have for a ringtone. I wonder what the roaming charges would be since the Ultron's in deep space where he was. I think, if I remember right, that was a version of Ultron that actually turned out to be good. And the one that was calling him? Yes, I think it is. Mm. And he he was calling, trying to make contact, like you know, like he was reaching out to his father. And then reach the next, out, <laughs> the next rendition of Ultron was created, and I think the good Ultron ultimately sacrificed himself to save Henry Pym from the bad Ultron. I believe you are correct, sir. And interestingly, Hank and Tigra got back together in Avengers Academy. And even have a son. So I knew they got together in Avengers Academy, but I don't know anything about the son. Well, the actual father is the Skrull Pym. Well, one anyway, as they kept, they all kept going crazy and having to be put down. Yeah, that was an interesting storyline with that. Did you did you read that with Secret Invasion? That was about where I finally checked out a Secret Invasion. That was one of the things that I, I actually kind of thought was funny. That, and I think Captain America also the whoever you know the. Uh, the, the the scroll that took over Captain America's role, I think, kept becoming heroic and having to be put down as you mean well. Captain Marvel? No, Captain America. 
What? Captain Mar- Captain America was a scroll too? There was a scroll version of him. I don't think oh, really. they ever fully replaced him because I think they kept trying to do it and he kept becoming heroic and they kept having to put him down. <laughs> yeah, I got to go back and eventually read all that. I just that was one of the other times when I just was like, ah. I'm about to... It anyway, seems sorry. they did something so semen samples would read as the guy they were undercover as. Okay. <laughs> it's probably going a little too in-depth on the DNA. Frankly, I think Tiger and Hank Pym work better than Hank Pym and Wasp. On Tiger's issues with her human half and cat half, well, who exactly would you call for that? Well, there is Doc Samson, but still, Werewolf by Night is better than Dr. Bong. Yeah, there's a reason Iron Man now just has the eye and mouth slits slots just for a frame of reference for people and not literally to look and talk out of. And the Ultron thing, well, let's say it has an interesting resolution, which we just talked about, I think. Unless you talk about <laughs> Yes, spoiler alert. Not, not sure how you can have only read a little of the Avengers West Coast if you collected for the second Spider-Woman as she never left the team. In fact, she was there when the team ended and was a member of Forceworks for the entire run of that series. I'll leave that one for Scott to answer because that was his uh, comment. Yeah, that was... I've got the... uh, I've got that run of Forceworks. I want to say it was only like less than 20 issues, like 16 or 18 issues. Something around... Hmm? Yeah, it was something around that. It, it wasn't a bad run. I, I, I think it suffered from the fact that it was tied into the cartoon. But other than that, I, I thought it was decent. And Jason goes on to say, as for Superman versus Ta- Terminator, yeah, Linkara of Atop of the Fourth World covered it. The only comic I really have ever disagreed with him about is Transformers Generation 2, Issue 1. Uh, that one I know nothing about. The Superman versus Terminator story is, yeah, kind of meh. Says a lot about the story when you took longer to do emails than review that issue. I thought the, the story was okay. I didn't. Uh, I didn't really have a problem with it. I didn't think it was, you know, something that I would consider to be, you know, terrific. But I didn't think it was terrible. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a masterpiece, but it was, you know, it was a, a quick, easy read. And, and like we said, it has the ultimate Superman, you know, and the the ultimate Superman conflict. Uh, yeah, okay. He throws everything in a damn sun. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for email. See, this is where we need a sound effect. Yeah, we need we need the the, the email drop and then the uh, Marvel drop. I, this is where I want to have a Stan, Stan Lee saying something about you know, join us for a Marvel adventure or whatever. But you got Greetings, the Marvel. true believers. That's right. I have I am the Marvel, and this week I have the Mighty Thor Volume One Issue Four Thirty Four from July of nineteen ninety one. And the title of this is If He Be Worthy with uh, Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends on plot, pencils, and script. Al Milgram, the finished art. Chris Eliopoulos, the letterer. Rockwitz and 
Lazzolari. Man, i got to get better at these names. Are the colorists. And Ralph Macchio, the editor, not to be confused with the, the actor. The Karate Kid. Comic on, comic off. All right, and we have a fantastic opening title, as always. Probably inspired by Stan Lee from back in the day. This book overall has a feeling for me of like an, a much older book. Like this book should have actually been – this could have been a book from the 70s you know, or the early 80s with, with the way that it just feels as, as, as you're reading it. But anyway, um, when architect Eric Masterson stamps his wooden walking stick upon the ground, he is transformed into the Norse god of thunder. Armed with his enchanted hammer, he is at once master of the storm – Lord of the Living Lightning, the Ayatollah of Ra- oh wait no I'm I'm ad libbing I gotta stop that <clears throat> and one of the strongest warriors who ever walked the earth Stan Lee presents the mighty Thor. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> All right. Oh no, that was NFL Super Pro. Dun, 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 dun. Wait, now I'm doing CBS Sports Spectacular. <laughs> oh, anyway. All right, so we have uh, Eric Masterson. So, if anyone's not really familiar with what's going on, Eric Masterson was a uh, was a buddy of Thor's who got a little too close and um, basically got hurt in one of their ventures. And Thor and he decided to bond together, much like a Captain Marvel Rick Jones thing, or you know, like uh, Thor's original bonding to Don Blake. Um, but Something else is it's things have gone a little awry, which is kind of what part of this this book is going to cover. So we've got Eric Eric Matt Masterson and his guys as Thor <clears throat> trying to get into Avengers Mansion, and uh, he's got what looks like Doctor Octopus arms coming out to snag him, and he's uh, he's yelling to Cap, "Hey Cap, I could use a little help here." And he's like, <laughs> basically Cap's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Stop it, Thor! There's no need to destroy those arms." You've been Avenger, you know, for year, you know, you've been Avenger long enough. You should know easily how to get in here without accidentally triggering our security deterrence. And uh, you have like the, I guess that would be like the Avengers lackey maintenance guy says, oh, I'll, I'll deactivate him. So Thor, Thor slash Eric, thanks, um, Cap, and um, you know, Cap being Captain Obvious. Uh, you know, there's something a little different about you. You got the new costume. You look like one of the village people, and you got the beard. Uh, your whole demeanor is just a little strange since I last saw you. And Eric uh, Thor says, "Well, yeah, that's that's what I came to discuss. Uh, can we go somewhere private?" So they go in the mansion, and um, basically Cap's like, "All right, all the recordings off. What's going on? You you aren't the real god of thunder, are you?" And, oh, nice call, Cap. I knew I wouldn't fool you. My real name is Eric, is Masterson, Eric Kevin Masterson. And he slams Majolder down, and boom. Now he's a uh, blonde-haired guy with a mullet and a walking stick. And Cap's like, wait a minute, I recognize you. You're the architect which Thor recommended uh, while we were rebuilding the mansion. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I guess technically that falls under a heading of conflict of interest. So, um, one thing I got to point out: if he was the architect to which Thor recommended to rebuild the mansion, 
wouldn't he already know about these security vices he was just fighting to get to get into the mansion? I mean, granted, he maybe he's not up to speed on all the security measures, but you know, just kind of little pot, plot hole thing there. Yeah, yeah you would, you would think the giant uh, octopus arms that he built into it would be something he'd be yeah, aware of. Yeah, you would think that would have been included for the architect to find a place to put them. So, But anyway, well, there'll, there'll be more things like that in this book. So anyway, uh, Cap's like, well, I don't really know what's going on here. Uh, and Eric begins to tell him via a Scooby-Doo flashback that um, – he got hurt during one of Thor's adventures, and they were bonded together. Um, and that uh, we were like a coin with two distinct sides. Okay, again, doesn't a coin already have two distinct sides? But okay, we still retained our separate personalities, but we were a single entity. Uh, being a part of Thor was a real kick, but it also played havoc with my personal life. I was never prepared for all the tough decisions and sacrifices. And then he says the same could also be said of Thor because uh, he was forced to make a choice where he had to kill Loki in order to protect mankind. And because of that, apparently Hemadol, Heimdall, Heimdall, who at that time was the current ruler of Asgard, Basically told uh, – banished Thor because he killed Loki because apparently the Asgardians take a real dim view of mortals who kill other immortals, which they're a warrior culture. So why would they do – have a dim view of that? And don't you know? Don't they have Valhalla? And so anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm probably being a nitpick. Well, so, I know ape shall never kill ape. And they were a warrior culture. Now, are, are you talking the Planet of the Apes, or are you, are you you talking the island of Doc Moreau? No, that was Planet of the Apes. That was in the fifth and final uh, sequel movie. And they start chanting, ape shall never kill ape, because an ape did kill an ape. And wasn't Paul Williams one of the apes? Yes, he was. As, yeah. as was uh, John uh, Huston. Yeah, he was the lawgiver, wasn't he? Yes. And... Uh, uh, what's his name? The uh, the director, the guy who directed I don't know, John Landis, actually had a bit part in that as well. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. But I Where digress. We? <laughs> well, you got me hooked on the island of Doc Moreau too, because now I'm thinking was walk on two feet. Um, You're talking about the Marlon Brando one, or no? I'm talking the one with uh, Burt Lancaster and oh, uh, and. Richard Basehart and Michael York. So that's like around 1978 or so. Yeah, wasn't it on TV or was it? It was. It was in the movie theater too. But I, I remember seeing it as a kid on TV. So, oh, what is the law? Walk on two legs. Don't kill. Like don't 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 eat meat or something. I don't even remember. I haven't anyway. seen that in a long time. But then before. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You Sorry to interrupt I'm, you and drive you I'm off really, your. Uh... Really, really riveted by the Thor book. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Thor was banished to some nameless limbo for all eternity. But the gods didn't want to leave the planet Earth unprotected, and so for reasons that I still don't quite understand, they transferred Thor's power to me. Now we get this abrupt cut to. Uh, 
a spaceship flying through the negative zone. Now, I did at this time. It's been a long. It's been a long time since I've read these. I didn't realize, or I guess I didn't know that Asgard was currently in the negative zone. Do you remember that, Paul? No, not at all. I didn't know that either. But I yeah, do recognize so, that ship. Yeah, it looks suspiciously familiar. You know, when, when, whenever if I ever have to build a spaceship, I want to do it where the front of the ship looks like it's my face. Like it's a giant mandible. Big giant mandibles coming out and bug eyes. I have, you know, could this be Blastar? No, no then it would be big people front. <laughs> Oh, the situation is far beyond desperate, my friend. I will never be safe as long as the floating city of Asgard resides within this realm. And for some reason, uh, this person, who if, if you haven't figured out who it is by now, uh, from this next sentence sounds more like Gollum than he does uh, who he actually is. But I guess they are kind of one and the same. Ah, uh, the Asgardians are all creatures of vast intelligence and power. As such, they must surely desire my greatest treasure my precious oh, excuse me so he tells go my mindless fiend because he's got a winged one-eyed creature there he says go and observe the strengths and weaknesses of my enemies then i can determine the most appropriate manner to annihilate them now i gotta point out if you're gonna have a minion and he flies wouldn't you want him with two eyes? Because with one eye, you have no depth perception. And I just see that thing smacking into everything as it's trying to fly its way through Asgard. You know, oh, look, there's an opening. Oh, ouch. Oh, wait, there's another opening. Ouch. Damn it, I wish I had two eyes. But I guess that was in the, that was in the director's edition. It wasn't here. So we have another brief uh, – we have another jump cut. To Lady Sif storming in to see her brother, Heimdall. Heimdall? 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 And um, <clears throat> she's looking pretty nice in her outfit, I, I gotta say. So she wants an audience with the Lord of Asgard. Um, he tells his guards to leave because they're like, oh no, you can't see him, you know. And he's like, ah, oh, no, no, I wish to speak to my sister. And as soon as they're gone, wham! She smacks him upside the head. I can't believe. You know, you would send Thor away, my love. Blah, 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 blah. If Odin wasn't asleep, you wouldn't be doing this. You're crazy. You're mad with power. And Heimdall's like, you know, okay. No god is above our laws. Thor broke the law. Ooh, he's in limbo. And, um, you know, she says, where have you hidden him? He's gone. You're not going to find him. Tough. Meanwhile, all this is going on. Our little one-eyed freaky friend is uh, observing it all. And as uh, his master is viewing through his eye, we now see that it is Annihilus. I believe it's Annihilus. Annihilus. Annihilus, the living death that walks. And basically he's afraid of anybody else of any power, having any power in the negative zone. So now that the Asgardians are there, he's looking for a way to destroy him. And now he's figured out, oh, Odin's out of commission and Thor is gone. So now's my time to move in. So and because then once he has control of Asgard, he can he'll have a way to get to the planet Earth. But why would he really want to go to the planet Earth if he's in control of the negative zone? But anyway, eh, again, I'm I'm digging too deep. 
So we later see uh, Lady Sif walking away, and she's consoled by one of her um, oldest, uh, like a like older caretaker lady. Uh, what was her name? Clarissa. And she she can tell that Lady Sif is saddened. <laughs> Excuse me. And Sif is <coughs> sorry. Sorry about that. Um, Hey. (laughs) Ah, Darn it. Okay. Uh, She's she's reminiscing about how she squandered time with Thor, and she's not going to surrender. She's going to find him no matter what, and she suspiciously is holding her hair over her sword, and we jump again. And now we're back to um, Eric Masterson and Cap. Now, it it should be said that earlier when Thor came in, he struck his hammer to the ground and he turned into Eric Masterson. So keep that in mind as I read this next, next section here. Okay, just then, back on the planet Earth... Now, this is Cap saying, I I don't know how to respond to your story, Masterson. It's pretty wild. And the guy says, yeah, tell me about it. It's like something you expect to see in an old comic book. But I can prove that it's real. And he strikes his cane back to the ground and turns back into Thor. It's like, really? You doing it the first time wouldn't have been proof enough that we had to do it a second time? Anyway, so... He tells Cap, you know, that he's going to go find a way to free Thor, and you know, Cap offers, you know, offers his help. The Avengers will be proud to join you, and he's like, "No, I appreciate it, but this time it's personal." And uh, he begins to swing the hammer. He's like, "Besides, I'm not even sure I can get there." And he starts to swing the hammer, and he disappears in a cloud of smoke. And then a, a eternity later, we see a picture of him, and he's going, whoa. He has suddenly become Keanu Reeves. And he's standing on the Rainbow Bridge. And he's like, it really worked. I'm here. And he's faced by the Warriors 3, uh, which would be Hogan the Grim, uh, Volstag the Voluminous, and oh, I can never remember the other guy. Fandral. Fandral? The da- the dashing, I think so. Yeah, he's definitely Fandral. I just I believe he's the yeah. dashing. Which I believe in the next movie is going to be played by the guy to play Chuck in the TV series. I'm not sure. I know it's a new actor from the last movie. I think yeah. I think the guy who's playing Green Arrow right now is the guy who played Fandral, right? No, I think it's actually the guy that's playing Prince Charming on Once Upon a Time. Oh, okay. I know it was somebody yeah. who got a TV gig, and that's why he's not a. Uh, Oh, yeah. That's why he's not going to be Fandral in the new movie. Yeah. All right, now, now that we've tangented away from the book again. So basically, you've got a little knockdown drag out between um, the Warriors 3 and uh, and the uh, Masterson Thor, or Thorstason. Yeah, we'll call him Thorstason. So Thorstason is working his way through the Warriors 3, and it's he seems to think that maybe they're not really fighting him to to their fullest that he kind of that they kind of want him to get through because they secretly want him to actually 
find a way to free Thor, you know, to something that they actually can't do. It's it's kind of like a you know it's underlying hidden text text in there as to, as to what's going on. So basically, at some point through this fight, he decides, all right, I'm just gonna cut to the chase and you know use the hammer and head straight to Asgard. So he gets to the city. And as he's flying into the city, we next cut and we see that Lady Sif has really, really changed. She is uh, dressed as a uh, sword maiden, and she has cut all of her hair off. Almost. And uh, I guess that sword's pretty sharp. So um, she's got the buzz cut going. She looks like uh, almost like – oh, what movie was that? Ah, G.I. Jane with uh, Demi Moore. Thank you. Although her hair is not quite that short, but it's short. And um, so she's uh, greeted by Balder. No, that's not a joke because she cut her hair. She actually is greeted by Balder, and they're both going on about how you know they miss Thor and they want to find a way to get him back. You know, and they. You know they have to find a way to maybe convince uh, Heimdall, and then they hear uh, um, they hear the clash of combat, and they realize it's coming from the throne room. So they begin to head head that way, and they uh, well, no, no he's, uh, uh, actually Balder says, "Nope, there's plenty of other protectors. We're needed elsewhere." And we see that Thor is actually making his way through the guards to get the Heimdall. And he questions, you know, you know, he says, "I've come for Thor," um, and uh, you know, we, he didn't do anything wrong. Well, we don't care. We, you have to abide by our laws. And Masterson is pretty uh, doesn't really, you know, he's more, you know, he's more about saving Thor. He doesn't care about the Asgarding ways. Um, he he takes it to. Heimdall pretty hard a few times. Heimdall smacks him down. Uh, I like the one light here where he he gets ready to swing the hammer, and uh, he says, "Take a deep breath, pal, and eat Uru." And when the smoke clears, Heimdall's standing there, and he's like, ha, "Really? I've got the Odin power. You're not going to beat me." And um, he he he, uh, he says, "I find thee lacking." As a successor to the true god of thunder, get thee gone. And then uh, <coughs> Masterson says, um, hmm, "Maybe this, maybe that isn't such, such a bad idea." Meanwhile, Annihilus is watching everything that's going on at the same time. Uh, Masterson uses the hammer and starts and flies away and starts to smash through uh, the walls in Asgard until he comes upon Odin's sleeping body. At this point, he is contemplating actually either kidnapping or threatening Odin in order for them to uh, tell him where Thor is. Lady Sif and Balder attack him, and he takes them out, and he's standing over Odin, and he tells Heimdall that you know, either you tell me now what I want to know, tell me where Thor is, and he goes to raise the hammer as if he's going to strike Odin. And when he does, he reads the hammer, 
and it has the inscription, whoever holds his hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. And then he, he realizes, okay, you win. I was wrong. And it's here that Heimdall says, oh, no, you are, you, you know, by thy actions, thou hast justified my faith in thee. Thou art truly worthy to safeguard thy planet and possess the power of Thor. <clears throat> and they all you know, realize this has been a misunderstanding, and you know perhaps there is some way way to we that that they, they can work this out. Meanwhile, our one-eyed little bug-eyed friend, friendly freak, looks a little bit like Chris Honeywell in that picture. I'm sure is, Chris will appreciate that. <laughs> is uh, is looking down upon Odin's body, and a nihilist strikes. It uses a, a teleport beam, and he takes. <clears throat> he takes Odin's body, and before they can grab him and stop him, Odin's body is gone. Excuse me. <clears throat> so they go to the uh, they go to the Grand Vizier to see if he has an explanation as to where he was gone. Which, when we get to the Grand Vizier, it looks like he's been hitting the sauce a little too much. I don't think that guy's been a couple eons there. Pretty, he's pretty freaked out. Now, I know. I guess the Asgardians do have technology. I guess, but it never. I, I just this last scene is kind of funny because uh, he's like, "I was about to send for thee, sire. Behold the terrifying image which suddenly appeared upon yonder view screen only moments ago." <laughs> really, they got view screens in Asgard? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I guess it, that this was. This would be this would fit right right in with the new Asgard uh, from from with them being more you know science you know kind of science based I guess if you want to say anyway on the view screen is um, Annihilus and Odin is his helpless prisoner lay down your weapons of surrender all of your immortal power or the true Lord of Asgard will surely die. Next issue, we have Alice Cooper taking us out. It's no more Mr. Nice God. No. Oh, okay. As Eric, Eric Masterson, Balder the Brave, the stunning Lady Sif, not since she cut her hair, take the battle to Annihilus' home ground. If you're the kind of reader who enjoys an action-packed slugfest in the mighty Marvel manner, you won't want to miss Eric's baptism of fire as he truly exploits the power of Thor. And that's it from my mom. I excuse my coughing and pausing in there. That's what do right. you think? Is that I thought it was okay. Yeah, I... The first time I read through it, it was... It reminded me of an older... Like I said when I started, like an older... And, and an older book from like the late seventies, early eighties, but then reading it again, it was like, you know, it just just it just fell apart. Like it was trying to be too campy. It's just uh, I don't know. I, I thought the co- you know start right off with the cover. I I, I kind of liked the cover. It seemed to me like they were trying to go for a uh, kind of a, a Jack Kirby type feel with it, and. Uh, well, at least it, this scene that actually takes place in the book. Yeah, that too. 
Although it's a little... Yeah, it's know, a little... It's it's a little crowded. Like, he fought the three, uh, the Warriors Three on the Rainbow Bridge. Here he's just kind of in the middle of Asgard battling everybody, including the Warriors Three. But it's still much more uh, tied into what the story is going to be than covers nowadays are. Mm-hmm. Let's see, what else do I have on this? Uh, I hate the open sides on Thor's armor. Yeah, I, I hate that look. I, I I don't know what what they were thinking when they went to that. I mean, uh, basically, he's wearing a like a like a tunic that's ripped all the way down the side, straight to his waist. Yeah, uh, I you know it's I I really like the current armor look. Uh, yeah, and, you know it, it's it's not only is it a you know is it a good look, but it has a it serves a purpose. Unlike this, where it, it really serves no purpose at all. Uh, I like the fact that Cap figured out right away that he wasn't uh, the true Thor. Well, you would think so. I mean, just by the way he acts, you know, it would would be a dead giveaway. But, you know, it's so many times in comics, you know, there's the obvious thing, and it's like, oh, I, I never would have known that it wasn't, you know, the same person. And, uh, you know, this this one, they don't insult your intelligence with that. Cap figures it out, you know, immediately, which I think is kind of cool. Uh, I think, you know, if you're looking to scout... A potential enemy to find out their strengths, strengths and weaknesses. There's nothing better than sending a mindless creature to do it. <laughs> uh, With one eye and no depth perception. Yes. Uh, the Asgardian lady Clarissa that uh, that Sif talks to. I thought she kind of like the way she's drawn. She kind of almost looks. She's got this weird hat on, and her face almost that- almost looks like Arnim Zola. <laughs> That's the same hat the Grand Vizier has on. Oh, uh, that's another one of my notes. <laughs> that, the, that the Grand Vizier must have stolen her hat. Uh, she, Grand Vizier. Maybe, yeah, maybe they're one and the same. It just has a detachable beard. And and the only other note I, I uh, have is that when uh, when Thor, when Sif and Balder are talking, Balder says, you know, uh, Thor Thor was is like a brother to me, which in current continuity. It turns out that they actually are brothers. That Boulder is basically a uh, bastard son of Odin. Yeah, isn't that later when what when Asgard's in Oklahoma or was it when yeah. it was in well, one foot above the ground? Isn't that when Balder becomes the king? Yes. Yeah. And it's because he's. It turns out that he's a son of Odin. So they are brothers, yeah. as as it all turns out. Which I don't think you know they had any idea they were going to go that route. I don't know too much about Asgardian or Norse mythology, rather, uh, other than what I've read in the comics. So I don't know the, the true stuff, but I, I have no idea like if there is a uh, familial tie with Balder and Thor. I don't know, and I've actually... It's been a long time, but I I got an interest in... Of course, I can't say it tonight. Norse mythology, uh, actually, from when Walt Simonson was doing um, Thor... Like when he started on 347, and for those issues that that, that he covered, because he actually did pull a lot from the actual um, you know books on it, and I actually read a few books, but no, I don't remember either if Balder was um, actually uh, actually related. But they they are all gods, so I'm sure at some point they are related through some pantheon. But it's been a while since I about 20 years since I read. That. Mm. And that's all I got on this one. Yeah. Uh, well, 
if I remember what happens to Masterson is eventually Thor comes back, you know, and I'm sure we'll get a letter. Somebody will look this up, or maybe if I get some time this week, I'll look it up. If I remember correctly, he becomes Bloodstrike. Thunderstrike, I think. Thunderstrike, but no, but doesn't he also become a character called Bloodstrike, or is I that the name? Bloodstrike of was the name of a villain. Oh, see, there's there's something that happens to him as Thunderstrike that I think I don't know if that's something to do with the Executioner's axe. I don't know. There's something that some there's one thing that happens to Masterson along the way that where he goes a little bit on the on the villain side, if I remember correctly. But I'm just you know, if I had my oh hot move stuff with me, I could probably look it up, but I don't have access to that right now. The official handbook Marvel Universe. I know what oh hot move oh, is. I'm but perhaps some of the listeners don't. Oh, yeah. If it was DC, we'd say who's who. It's a little easier than a hot move. Oh, yeah. They're, I'm telling you, he stole Clarissa's hat, or she stole his. That is the same hat. But he doesn't have Arnim Zola face. <laughs> Arnim Zola face. <laughs> oh, wait, there's no little symbol on, on, on her hat. Okay, anyway, that's enough of the damn hats. So, all right. That's 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 my train wreck this week. All right. So we'll go on to my train wreck now? Train wreck number two coming up. All right. For the DC book, I have Starman number one, which I chose because I've never read Starman, and I've heard tremendous things about the James Robinson run on Starman. Which is why you didn't do it. Fortunately, <laughs> I picked the wrong Starman number one. I picked Starman number one of October 1988, which is a Roger Stern written book, uh, and the James Robinson book, I believe, was around two or three years later. So, this Starman number one came out in October of 1988, has a cover price of $1, it has a cover by Tom Lyle with a poster-type image of Starman flying directly, excuse me, in front of the reader, it's written by Roger Stern, penciled by Tom Lyle, inked by Bob Smith, colored by Juliana... Ferreter. Uh, letters are by Bob Pinaha, and it's edited by Dick Giordano and Robert Greenberger. We have a pre-title sequence in the book where we open at a satellite over the Earth, the Stellaron S, which is taking in radiation and converting the energy into a beam, which it sends to a receptor in a building in Utah. We cut inside that building where we see scientists on what we're told is a quest for power inside that building. They have people in some sort of status tubes that they're monitoring, and two of the men are talking. We learn through some very expository discussion that they've been working for five years to create a new breed of men and women in order to give the nation new heroes, not alien supermen masquerading as heroes, but good old American heroes. As they're talking, the satellite is hit by a piece of debris and destroyed. Further, there's danger that the energy beam it's been sending could hit a populated area. At that point, we go to our title slash splash page. Title of our story is Grassroots Hero. The story opens in the Colorado Rockies, home of John Denver, where a man and woman... woman Thank you. <laughs> Where a man and woman are attending to an unconscious man who they believe to be dead. He's, a, he's removed from that location to the county morgue. 
which is strangely located right at the very edge of a mountain road with a sheer drop right outside the window. That's uh, where they could just, ah, yeah, this body's done. Picture. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What do we do with this one? Yeah, the window's right there. Let the there. bears eat them. Cop and the metal, uh, a cop and the medical examiner are discussing the fact that it took four men just to bring the man down the mountain, and they ponder his weight. But of course, you know, in a morgue, they wouldn't have something as high tech as a scale on hand to just figure out how much he weighs. Uh, the medical examiner prepares to conduct his autopsy when the man wakes up and asks, "What the hell is going on?" Which, to me, is reminiscent of Saturday Night Live when uh, I think it was Garrett Morris was playing a kid in a coma, and they're discussing whether or not to pull the plug on him. And, and as they go to pull the plug, he wakes up, and he's like, hey, what are you doing there? You were going to pull the plug, weren't you? <laughs> this guy turns to the medical examiner, well, you were going to con- conduct an autopsy on me, weren't you? So as they speak, the man accidentally tears a piece off the gurney he was laying on, and in a very macho display, the medical examiner faints. Uh, of course, the cop walks back into the room right at that moment, and he pulls out his gun. The mystery man in a reflex action reflex action causes himself to propel forward and he crashes through the window and down the sheer drop right outside of it. As he falls, he slows down and begins to fly to his own surprise. He lands on the roof of a tractor trailer and hitches a ride until the truck stops at the majestic diner and gas stop. He goes into the diner and has an order of steak and eggs. He pays As he pays his bill, he looks at the calendar. He notes that it's June 22nd and thinks about how his last memory was actually May 19th. He starts doing a memory inventory and thinks about that his name is William Payton and that he's 25 years old but cannot remember the last month. As he ponders that, he sees a masked man with an ascot coming out of, the ba- coming out of a bank and firing his handgun into the bank as he leaves. Because I think that's what generally bank robbers do is they just shoot the gun willy-nilly as they're leaving. Cause well, plus, a, plus the driver has an ascot, too. Ah, uh, you, you jumped ahead of me on that. <laughs> Sorry. And as he goes to enter his getaway car with a fellow ascotted and masked man, he shoots at our confused hero and hits him in the arm. The robber sees that he's still standing and directs the driver to run him down. Seems to be, he seems to be exceptionally bloodthirsty, but whatever. Uh, our hero starts to glow very brightly, and the car is turned onto its passenger side. The two masked men come at him and somehow allow him to grab both of their guns in each of his hands. Because I know if I come at somebody like that, I try to keep my guns close together and make it easy. Easily for the reachable. Yes. Uh, he melts both barrels of the guns in his hands, and they give up just as wait the police arrive. Does he melt them, or does he just bend them upward, or is he, it both? It, the, the picture looks like he's bending them, but then if you read in the dialogue, they say that he melted them. Oh. Wouldn't that burn their hands, too? I would think. They're metal. Ah! That metal does conduct heat pretty well. But what Oh, if? yeah. Get your guns. There, I'll shut up now. That's all right. You feel free to jump in anytime you want. Uh, so the police see him and realize that he he fits the description of the body that escaped from the morgue, and at that moment he flies away. We cut to Phoenix, Arizona, several hours and 500 miles from our last scene. There's a woman named Jane sitting on the hood of a Jeep playing the guitar and singing Don't Stand So Close to Me. Looks more like Rick Jones. Yeah, she's she's not uh, she's not all that fetching. Uh, William Payton, our hero, comes up and stops her as she goes to hug him and shows her how he can fly. 
He then lifts and throws a boulder for no apparent reason and glows brightly enough to injure her just for the heck of it. She hugs him anyway, not afraid of being incinerated, saying that he's now a superhero. We cut to a home in a suburb of Phoenix where we learn that the two of them are brother and sister. Their mother comes home, complains that he hasn't spoken to them in a week, and immediately starts to rag on him for not having a job. We then have a montage where he's looking for work and his sister is designing superhero costumes. We cut to a shot of him coming out of the, cl- out of the shower with a gratuitous and very uncomfortable butt shot, and Jane gives him a costume that she made. Conveniently, at that moment, there's a news report of a crane at a construction site toppling over and that a man is trapped underneath it. Will quickly makes his way to the accident scene and offers his assistance. As he attempts to lift the crane, the ground underneath him starts to give away, give way, but he eventually gets it lifted and a lone paramedic drags the trapped man out. I don't know why there aren't, isn't a whole team there ready to take him out, but one guy t- just drags him out, not even worried about that his crushed legs are going to fall off his body or anything. The crane collapses on top of Will, and a reporter at the scene starts talking about how he died a hero. But the ground underneath the crane starts to melt, and Will flies out, at which point a bystander says, Way to go, Starman, conveniently giving him his new superhero name. We cut back to the hero's home, where we see that he can change his appearance and voice so that he won't be identified. He talks to Jane and is resistant of the idea of playing hero, saying that most of them seem crazy, and he explains that he came close to screwing up and has a lot to learn. The following day, we cut back to the scientific building from the preamble sequence, where they're looking at a newspaper report of Starman's adventure and immediately theorize that he received the power that was meant for the people that they were working on and that they're going to get it back from him one way or the other. And that's how issue one ends. And it is not the James Robinson story. So interesting story though. Yeah. I didn't think it was bad. You know, it, 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 like many of the issues that we do, it gave me, at least some desire to want to see where the story goes. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of times we, we, we do that and I think, well, you know, I'm going to, you know, read the follow-up issues on this and then I just never have the time. But uh, I would certainly be interested in reading some more. I wouldn't be opposed to it, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. I like the art in the issue. I thought it was kind of nice. Uh, you know, not, not a very dynamic style, but nice and clean Decent storytelling, well, easy to follow. Jane's uh, Jane's hairstyle really dates this book, though, because this is the eighties, right? This is the yes. end of the eighties. Yeah, she's I think got they're going for the Pat Benatar kind of look. Yeah, makes me think of the a song from the nineties, I think, or late late eighties. Jane's getting serious. Got to do something. Jane's getting anyway. That's my singing montage. So I'll stop now. You know that song? No. Am I hallucinating? I just don't. You know, I, any song that was made after like 1990, I don't know. Oh, you're full of it. You, 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 you've been killing me on song pop. Well, mostly on 60s and 70s music. That's true. I do get you on video games. Crush me on video games, and certainly I, I crush you. I don't modern rap. I could guarantee you that. Yeah, I'm not gonna go go good on that either. No, this, I I thought the art was good in here. I I like the cover. I mean, the the cover's pretty 
striking for the time. You know, it 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 just looks it looks really good. I mean, it's uh, now is that little star in the background on the cover? You think that's like the the satellite beaming the energy down to him that hit him, or is it just you know there for poetic license or artistic license? I was interpreting it as being the satellite, but I don't know if that you know, yeah. either one. I don't know. Uh, what else do I have on this thing? Uh, where am I? Oh, I, I, I like the whole conspiracy theory aspect of this thing with this scientific group. You really don't know where they stand. Uh, you know, they could well be a government-sponsored group. Or private citizens, you know, like a private corporation. Yeah, and, and there's certainly the, uh, the appropriate level of paranoia where they want a good old American hero instead of these crazy aliens dressed up as heroes. Uh, so I like so all now, was, was he out for a walk in – because I haven't had a chance to read this whole thing. Was he out for a walk in the woods when he got blasted by – because where he's laying in the, in, on the, the ground, the ground's all blasted around him. I mean was he, I, was he just like walking along and it just happened to hit him? Well, again, I didn't read any of the other issues with this, but that's the way I'm interpreting it, that a month earlier he was walking or hiking. And so he's been laying there for like a month. Yeah. That's, hmm. that's the way I'm reading it is that he uh, you know, he was in such a desolate area that he didn't get discovered for a month. Huh. I, well, I that's like, a pretty wimpy doctor. When he faints? I mean, yeah, a medical examiner? Really? A guy that cuts people open? Does autopsies and he faints because a guy rips a piece of metal off a gurney? <laughs> Come on. That was an expensive gurney. That came out of my pay. Do you know how much of our budget we spent on that gurney? You. <laughs> <laughs> Dead man who walks. Uh, I like the fact that he was self-aware, at least the way they wrote him here, that you know he knows he's not ready for prime time, basically. <laughs> And, and and wasn't so quick to say I want to be a hero, you know. Which, at least in in the seventies and sixties, you know, everybody, you know, you got superpowers and you immediately decided you were going to go do good. I'm going to yeah. do bad. You know, there were the few, you know, the Hawkeyes of the world that started as villains and changed. But for the most part, it was you know they immediately knew exactly what they were going to do. Wednesday the twenty second. That was uh, that's four days away from my birthday, and we'll have to mark that on our calendars. Ah, but is it four days before or four days after? So I I, uh, I wasn't sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna let it go. Uh, yeah, I know. Sure about the connection to James Robinson Starman because I thought that at some point afterwards that there was some retcon stories that connected all the different Starmen. Yeah, I've got some of the James Ro- – uh, I haven't started to read it yet. I've got them. Um, so, But I have listened to some other podcasts that have talked about it, and I thought I heard something in there that, that how it does tie in some of the other Starmen, either in a f- familiar way. You know, I, I'm just not, not sure. Up on Wikipedia where you know everything is fact. And it's Peyton. Here, just turn a while. Peyton gained his powers of flight, super strength, and the ability to alter his appearance and fire bolts of energy from his hands after being struck by a bolt of energy from a satellite in space. 
He was in his early 20s and worked as a magazine copy editor. The satellite had been launched by the Hutchison Institute, and the powers had been intended for their team of super agents, the Power Elite. Despite his short career, he gained a good reputation among other heroes, even assisting Superman on some occasions, such as helping him to recharge after an encounter with Parasite, drained most of his solar energy, and posing as Superman when he, briefly, when he was briefly depowered by Lex Luthor's use of Mr. Mixia's Patilix, Red Kryptonite. Although he was forced to leave to recover after he was injured in the confrontation with evil genius Thanius he first appeared in Starman, Volume 1, Number 1, October 1988, and seemingly died writing the supervillain Eclipse. 1990s Starman series revealed his fate was different mysterious was revealed this is alien named Gavin who also uses the name Starman it's currently unclear whether the two men Gavin and Peyton fused into one being with memories or and was placed by the essence of Gavin and that's the Wikipedia version. You still with me, Bill? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Yeah, it sounded like we were getting a little break up there. That's about all I got on this one. I thought it was pretty good, and I would read more if the situation arises. Yeah, this this didn't didn't seem like a bad book. Yeah. I still think the guy in the ascot, maybe that's Fred from uh, Scooby Doo. I like that, you know, it's like the it's like the masked ascot gang. <laughs> the ascot boys. Let me go up the bank. No, we're not. You don't have your ascot on. Oops. Zoinks! And then we'll go. <laughs> Jeez, Freddy. How come I can't rob the bank? You don't have an ascot like me. If you were cool and had your ascot. Then maybe now get, now get your ass got in the can in the car and let's go rob a bank. <laughs> so when Starman comes down to his sister and the dog's sitting there, you know she's singing "Don't Stand So Close to Me." The dog's going, Arr! and then when Will, when Will walks up, the dog's the dog looks like he's saying, "Oh God, thank God you're here." She stopped singing. I don't think I could take much more. All right, I think that's where we may uh, go out. <laughs> All right. Good night, everyone. We'll see you next time. Right, next time, NFL Super Pro. Dun 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 dun